Today, I'm continuing a series, continuing to talk about blessings and miracles. I've contrasted that blessings and miracles are two different ways of receiving from God. And you really can't say that a blessing is better than a miracle just emphatically because if you're in a crisis situation and you don't have time to put the blessing of God into motion. Say, for instance, the doctor tells you you're going to be dead in 24 hours. You need a miracle. You haven't got time for a blessing to start operating. So a miracle can be the thing that you need at the moment. It may be the best for you at that moment. But overall, a blessing is better than a miracle because a blessing will actually prevent crisis, whereas a miracle has to have a crisis before you get one. A blessing is always more abundant than a miracle, and a blessing, once it's given, can never be reversed. We've already talked about Balaam and Balak. Balak was the king of Moab, and he hired Balaam to come curse the children of Israel. And Balaam had enough of a relationship with the Lord that he was sensitive to the Lord. He really wanted this reward that Balak had promised him, but he was sensitive enough to the Lord that when the Lord told him not to curse his people, he did obey, and he actually wound up blessing the children of Israel three times instead of cursing them, and we've already talked about all of that. So the story about Balaam in Scripture ends at the end of Numbers chapter 24. And this was after the third time that Balaam had tried to curse the children of Israel and gain this reward from Balak, the king of Moab. And yet uh, the Lord just refused to give him freedom to curse the Israelites. And instead, he came back in this third time in chapter 24 of, of Numbers, Balaam put all of these blessings upon the Israelites and even prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. And uh, there were some really good things that he said. And so it ends in Numbers chapter 24 and verse 25. It says, And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. And it looks like that this is the end of the story of Balaam. But it isn't. And let me share some things with you. And if you can understand this, now this will really, really help you in this series that I've been teaching about blessings and miracles. Because the main point that I've made about the story of Balaam is that Balaam tried to uh, intercede and get God to curse the Israelites because it was to his advantage. He had a huge reward coming his way if he could bring a curse upon them. And yet God said in Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 that God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. So, man, that was powerful. God just refused to curse the Israelites. He blessed them, and he even said in this 22nd uh, or excuse me, 21st verse of Numbers chapter 23 says, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. And I've already pointed this out, but this isn't because there wasn't any sin or iniquity in the nation of Israel. They were a stiff-necked, stubborn people. The Lord had actually, in Exodus chapter 32, wanted to wipe them out and make a brand new nation out of the seed of Moses. And God definitely was aware of sin, but when it came to the enemy trying to come against His people, He dealt with them based on the covenant 
and not based on their performance. And so I said from this that the blessing of God is not dependent upon your performance. It's only dependent upon the goodness of God. If He extends the blessing to you, then it's eternal. God will never take it back. He will not lie. He cannot repent of this thing. If God has spoken blessings over you, then you are blessed from God's standpoint. But does that mean that the blessing is going to automatically manifest in your life? No. And you can see that in the Israelites. But it's because they were the only one that could stop the blessing. The enemies of God, even this false prophet who tried to curse the Israelites, they couldn't stop it. Satan can't stop God's blessing from coming to pass in your life. God will not stop it. He's not a man that he should lie. God will never change. He'll never repent. God has placed blessings upon you. And from God's standpoint, there is no problem here. But you know, the only thing that can stop the blessing of God in your life is you. And let me show you this in Scripture. Of course, we ended right here in Numbers chapter 24 where Balaam went his way and Balak went his way back to Moab. And then it says in chapter 25, it says, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab, and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their God. And the people did eat and bowed down to their idols are to their gods, and Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And so right after this instance where Balaam had been hired by Balak to curse the Israelites, and then it didn't work, and Balaam went his way, immediately after that, the next thing that is recorded is that these Midianitish women came out and enticed the man of Israel to come to their feast... They were actually orgies. They offered sacrifices unto Baal Peor, a demon god, a pagan god. And the man of Israel began to commit sexual immorality with these Midianite women. And uh, through this, the anger of the Lord came upon them. I won't take time to read all of these scriptures, but you could read this in Numbers chapter 25. And uh, Moses was commanded by God to have all of the elders of Israel go throughout the entire camp and kill all of the people who had committed this sexual immorality and had worshipped these idols and kill them. And this is also the instance where there was a man uh, who brought a Midianitish woman. And I mean, right as Moses and Phinehas and all of these people were at the tabernacle and they were repenting and praying and asking for God's mercy because of this great sin that the Israelite men had committed in having uh, sexual relationships with these pagan women and worshiping their pagan God. As they were repenting, this man walked right in front of Moses, right in front of the tabernacle with this Midianitish woman named Cosby, and they went into his tent and had sexual relations. He just flaunted it. I mean, he defied all of Moses' instructions. And because of this, Phineas actually got a javelin and went in and killed both the man and the woman. And after this, uh, the anger of the Lord was stayed and the plague stopped. And that was the end of it. But look at this. It says um, in verse 9, this is Numbers chapter 26, verse 9. And those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. 
There was 24,000 people killed either by the sword through Moses having the elders go through and kill all the people who had participated in this idolatry and whoredom and uh, the people that died in the plague. 24,000 people died. Now this looks like it is a disconnected instance. It looks like it's just something that happened. But turn over here to Numbers chapter 31. There is an instance in Numbers 31. This is just a short period of time after this. And it says in chapter 31, verse 1, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites. Afterwards shalt thou be gathered unto thy people. And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of Midian. Of every tribe a thousand throughout all the tribes of Israel shall ye send to the war. That would have been a total of 12,000 people. So they were delivered out of the thousands of Israel, a thousand of every tribe, 12,000 armed for war. And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand of every tribe, them and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the war with the holy instruments and the trumpets to blow in his hand. And they warred against Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all of the males. But the story goes on, and just for time's sake, I'm going to skip through some of this. They didn't kill the women. Instead, they brought back the women as spoil, and the intention was that they were going to take all of these Midianitish women and make them their wives, and that was the spoils of war. Now, back in those days, this wasn't uncommon for people to do this, but Moses was livid when he came back and saw that they hadn't executed exactly what he told him to do, but they saved all of the women children alive. And it sa- here's what it says in Numbers chapter 31. And in verse 14 it says, And Moses was wroth with the officers of the host, with the captains over the thousands, and captains over hundreds, which came from the battle. And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now that is a super important piece of information. If we didn't have this piece of information and then a passage that's over in Revelations chapter 2, which I'll read later, it might have been possible to just read this story of Balaam, see that he tried to curse the Israelites, but it didn't work, and then he left and went to his place. And we might have just thought that that was the end of the story. But apparently what happened was Balaam realized that there was no enchantment There was no intercession. There was nothing that could be done to stop the blessing of God. Once God has placed a blessing on a person, God will never change. He never repents. Even the actions of the person doesn't really stop God because the blessing of God is independent of performance. And you can see that in Numbers chapter 23 in verse 22 or 21 where the Lord there was saying that I haven't beheld iniquity in Jacob nor seen perverseness in Israel. It wasn't based on their holiness or their goodness. Now that's an important piece of information. And so once God gives the blessing, it's just eternal. Satan can't stop it. So why isn't the blessing that God has placed upon all of His children then just manifesting? It's because we have to believe to receive. You are the one that activates or deactivates the blessing of God and it is completely dependent upon your faith, not your actions. 
Now, some people have a hard time making a distinction here because actually if you believe something, it will prove itself in your actions. There's a number of scriptures that go along with this. James chapter 2 talks about faith without works is dead. You say you have faith? Well, you show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. So faith really does have to be acted on and there is a relationship here. But if you aren't careful, you'll just go to thinking that God blesses people that are holy and that have their act all together. And yet scriptures, the scriptures that I've already used, disprove that. Abraham was a man who was blessed of God in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And then immediately after he received the blessing of God, he went down into Egypt because of a famine and he lied about his wife. He was willing to let Pharaoh commit adultery with his wife. Abraham was in the wrong. Abraham's actions weren't correct. And yet, who did God rebuke? He didn't rebuke Abraham. Instead, he rebuked Pharaoh. You know why God rebuked Pharaoh instead of Abraham? Because Pharaoh wasn't blessed. Pharaoh hadn't received the blessing of God. He didn't have a covenant with God. God deals with us based on covenant. And even though Abraham did some stupid things, did some things that were actually sin and wrong, he did believe in the blessing of God on his life. And so the blessing of God operated. Now, I think it's important that you understand this. Or some of the things I'm about to say right here, you might misunderstand and think that you've got to be holy and perfect to activate the blessings of God. Your actions are important, but actually it's a matter of the heart. It's just a matter of do you believe that you're blessed? And if you believe that you are blessed, well, then there ought to be some corresponding actions that go along with it. So here's what happened. Balaam tried to curse the Israelites. He could not do it. And so as he left, it isn't recorded over here in Numbers chapter 25, but it is referred to in Numbers 31, 16, that Balaam, as he left, told Balak, he says, if you're ever going to defeat the Israelites, you can't bring a curse on them. You can't overcome the covenant or the blessing that God has placed upon them. What you're going to have to do is get the Israelites to stop God's blessing on themselves. They're the only ones that can stop this favor and power and anointing and blessing of God that was on their life. And so as it says here in Numbers chapter 31, verse 16, this is Moses speaking, and he said, These uh, caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So Balaam told Balak, he says, if you're going to defeat them, you're going to have to get them to defeat themselves. What you do is use the women of Midian and have them go out and entice the Israelites to come to a feast to their God and to offer sacrifices unto idols and then commit sexual immorality with these women. And basically what that did, it made the Israelites renounce their faith in God. God had told them that they should have no other gods before Him. That's one of the Ten Commandments listed in uh, Exodus chapter 20. The Lord says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall only serve me. Well, they renounced their faith in God because of the lust, the physical advantage that they saw to having relationships with these beautiful Midianite 
women. And so they went and committed these sacrifices unto pagan gods. They went in unto strange women, which the uh, Bible specifically said that they should not marry outside of the nation of Israel. And they basically renounced their covenant through their unbelief and through their rejection of what God told them to do. It was the Israelites who stopped the blessing of God on them. And 24,000 of them were destroyed because of this sin. Now see, this is what Balak, the king of Moab, was after when he tried to hire Balaam. He wanted Balaam to come and curse the Israelites so he could destroy them, that he could overcome the, the Israelites. Balak was disappointed because Balaam just could not do it. God wouldn't change. But Balaam taught him how to get the people to stop the blessing themselves. And because of that, 24,000 people died. Now, they didn't totally overcome the nation, but they did make a dent into the population. And they saw 24,000 Israelite men who were men of war die because they had succumbed to this lust and they rejected their covenant with God. Here's another scripture that confirms this. is over in Revelation chapter 2. This is the Lord speaking to the pastors of those 12 churches. And this is written to the pastor of the church in Pergamos. And in um, Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where you dwell, even where Satan's seat is, and you hold fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. And so here is a commentary on this. The Lord is saying that Balaam taught Balak how to cast a stumbling block in front of the Israelites. And the way he did that was to get them to offer or eat things that had been offered unto idols and to commit fornication. So here again is a confirmation of what was said over in Numbers chapter 31. So the reason for bringing all of this out is to say that if you truly understand the points I've been making about the power of a blessing, how powerful it is, God's spoken favor, this is what made Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the entire Israelite nation begin to prosper and multiply and become so numerous. It was the spoken favor of God over them. If you understand the power of a blessing, and then if you understand the permanence of a blessing, that once it's given, even your iniquities won't stop it, as with Abraham. Abraham sinned and messed up, and yet God's blessing continued on in his life. If you understand the power and the permanence of a blessing, then the only other thing that is really necessary for this blessing to operate in your life is some cooperation by you. You have to cooperate with it. Another way of saying this is that just as in the natural realm, God established laws like the law of gravity, the law of sowing and reaping. There's just these physical, natural laws. If you want a crop, you don't just pray for a crop, but you have to take the seed 
and planted and cooperate with those natural laws that God created and put into place. And then as you cooperate with those laws, you get this harvest where you plant a little seed and get back a hundred seeds for every one seed that you planted. It's not a miracle. It's just the blessing. God created this world system and then He blessed it. And He told the ground to bring forth fruit and to bring forth these uh, grains and all of the things that we uh, eat and, that, and feed us. God blessed it and spoke this out of His mouth. And so when you plant a seed, what you are doing, you aren't, it's not a miracle, it's the blessing that God established. Now that's a physical, natural thing. But you know, in the spiritual realm, there are also spiritual laws that control the blessings. For instance, let me just use this as an example. There are a lot of people who are praying for God to meet their financial needs. They are wanting a better job, a better house, a better car. They're wanting more money to do whatever. And they are praying and they're asking God to meet their need, but they aren't cooperating with the laws, the spiritual laws that God established. For instance, in the Scripture, the Bible says in Luke 6, 38, "...give." and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Now that's just a law of God. Give, and it shall be given unto you. And yet there's a lot of people who are trying to receive financial benefit and blessing, and they aren't cooperating with the natural laws. They don't believe that if they give, it's going to be given unto them. Instead of operating in faith and trust in what God says, they're operating in fear, thinking, but I need all of this money, and if I give a portion of it away to the church or to somebody else, well, then I'm going to be moving further away from my goal. I need this money. And they operate in fear and in greed, and they hoard this money. Did you know if you do that? you are stopping the blessing of God from operating in your life. I know that some of you, this is just so different than what most people think. Most people really aren't thinking in the spiritual realm. They don't really perceive the power of a blessing. It's the blessing of God that really causes you to prosper. It's God's divine favor spoken over you. And how do you tap into that blessing? Well, God has already given it. Satan can't stop it. So why aren't you prosperous? It's because we don't really trust. We don't understand that there are spiritual laws. And when God says, give and it shall be given unto you, we don't really trust that. We don't really believe it. And that's the reason that we haven't been planting our spiritual seed. The reason we haven't been giving finances. And you are the one that is stopping this blessing from coming to pass in your life. God's not the one who's hindered you. And so how do you remedy this situation? Well, the church basically goes to God and says, Oh God, please touch me. Oh God, please give me money. Oh God, please give me a new job or whatever. Well, if you get that kind of a prayer answered, it's going to be a miracle because you aren't cooperating with the laws of God. You aren't paying tithes. You aren't giving offerings. You aren't giving and yet you're wanting a crop. That would be similar to a person who needs food and yet they aren't going to cooperate with the natural laws and they aren't going to plant seed and raise a crop and harvest it and do all those things. They're going to sit there and just pray over barren ground and want God to make a crop come up. That's not natural. That's not normal. That's not the way it's going to work. If something like that happens, it would be an absolute miracle. 
Well, for many of you, it's going to take an absolute miracle for you to get your financial need met because you aren't cooperating with the spiritual laws that govern prosperity. Those laws say, give and it shall be given unto you. It says, bring the tithes into the storehouse, Malachi 3.10, and trust me, prove me, and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. God says that the way to prosper isn't to hoard and keep all you've got, but to open up your hand and start giving. And as you do that and trust God, you are the one that activates the blessing of God. The Lord says that He would bless the work of your hands. Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's many different scriptures that make this same point. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says, if you don't work, don't eat. And so there's many scriptures that talk about God blesses labor. And yet there's people who are trying to prosper and asking God to meet their financial needs and they aren't cooperating with what God says. They don't work. They are waiting on somebody to give it to them. They're looking to welfare. And I know by me even saying this, somebody's going to hit the roof and I'm going to get criticism. Again, I believe that any person might need help temporarily. Any person could be in between jobs. And I'm not saying that any person who's ever taken welfare is of the devil or against God. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that there are people who consistently, there are first, second, and third generations that are on welfare and have this mentality that people owe them something and they are praying and asking God for help, but they aren't setting their hand unto anything. The Lord said He would multiply what you set your hand unto. Did you know that a hundred times zero is zero? If you are going to see prosperity come through a blessing, not through a miracle, but through a blessing, you are going to have to learn the laws of God that you have to set your hand unto something. You have to start doing something. You have to work. You can't sit there and expect to prosper and not do something. That is so simple. You got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand that. And yet we've got millions and millions of people today who have the mindset that everybody else owes them something. There is a a lottery mentality to where people want to put a dollar down and get a million back. That is not a godly system. God isn't going to help you fix the lottery. He's not going to fix it so that you can win. That's against the law. If he was a person, he'd be thrown in jail for fixing the lottery. God doesn't do those kind of things. If you're praying to win a raffle, to win the lottery and do all of this kind of stuff, you're praying for a miracle and God doesn't even give those kind of miracles. It's not going to happen. If you want to prosper God's way, God has commanded a blessing upon you. He said that when you set your hand unto something, that God would bless it, that God will cause you to prosper. There are so many examples in Scripture of people who went out and did things and started small and God began to prosper it, but every one of them did something. Over in 2 Kings, I believe it's chapter 4, where a widow woman whose husband had been a prophet and yet he died and he left her with this debt and in those days, if you couldn't pay your debt, well, then the, the person who you owed the money to could come and take you or your children for slaves. And this woman told Elisha that she, that she or her two sons were about to be taken for slaves because she couldn't pay this debt. 
And you know what Elisha told her to do? He says, what do you have in your hand? What do you have? Go home, tell me what you have. And she says, well, I've just got a little bit of oil. And so he told her to go borrow these vessels and shut the door and her and her sons and they poured this out. And anyway, there's a lot of teaching I could do out of that. But you notice that the money didn't just boom, show up. She didn't win the lottery. Somebody didn't just come and pay all of her debts. But the prophet told her to take what she had and begin to use it, to pour it out. Take a step of faith. It took faith to go borrow all these vessels when all you had is a tiny bit of oil, but she had faith that God was going to do something. If you will do what you can do, if you will take the little bit that you've got and begin to start using it, then God can bless that. But if you are just sitting there doing nothing and expecting people to just give unto you, you know what, that is not a godly system. That isn't the way that the blessing works. Again, see, there's laws that control the natural realm. There are laws that control the spiritual realm. And in the realm of prosperity, if you're going to prosper, you are going to have to do something to prosper. You aren't going to have money rain out of heaven. You aren't going to win the lottery. Somebody wins the lottery, but it's not God that causes them to win the lottery. God doesn't control that. God is not going to help you win the lottery. He's not going to fix things. It's not going to just fall out of the sky. If you are going to prosper, there are spiritual laws that you have to start doing something. Set your hand unto something and give God something to work with. You know, again, any person could be in a situation where for a brief period of time you could use help. And so if, if that's what you're calling welfare, I won't criticize that. But people... Uh, have come to me often, and they are on welfare. They're just taking unemployment. They've been waiting for jobs and doing all of this stuff. And I say, well, what are you doing? Why don't you go out and get a job? Well, they say, well, all I can get is just a, you know, an hourly wage job, a seven or eight dollar per hour job. And I can't, you know, I'm a CEO and I'm waiting on this fancy position. But see, if you would go out and work at McDonald's and start at six dollars an hour, seven, whatever it is that they pay. If you would go get a job at McDonald's, at least you're setting your hand unto something and God could prosper that. You know, I can promise you, I can't prove it. I'm not going to prove it because I'm not going to have to prove it. But I really believe that if something was to happen to me and if I had to go get a job at McDonald's, I can guarantee you I would work my tail off. I would give everything I've got to that job. And because of that, I've seen a lot of the people that work at McDonald's and some of these fast food places, and they, they make you think that uh, they are paying you. They don't serve you, and I mean, they, they act like they hadn't got a brain in their head. I can promise you that in a short period of time, I'd be promoted to some type of a leadership uh, situation in that deal. And then they train people. I could become a manager, an owner of McDonald's, and I can guarantee you in a very short period of time I'd prosper because I've got this work ethic where I'm going to do something. I'm going to do it heartily as unto the Lord. And God blesses that. God blesses work. God does not bless laziness. God does not bless doing nothing. God's blessing is going to come when you set your hand unto something. He will bless the work of your hands. He will multiply what you set your hand unto. If you don't work, then don't expect to eat. Man, that's tight, but that's right. And I know that that just goes against a lot in our society today, but that's the reason that a lot in our society today is all messed up and we're having some of the problems we have is because we don't have this mindset. 
I'm telling you, God wants you to prosper. But God has established that the way you're going to prosper is to start doing something and then trust that God is going to bless it. Now see, if you could understand this, you don't have to pray for God's blessing because God's already given it. And once it's given, it cannot be reversed. You don't have to sit there and wail and travail and complain and then pray against all of the demonic things and blame it on the fact that the devil just hasn't, you know, is hindering you and things aren't working. Satan is a factor, but only if you cooperate and consent to his lies and deception. Actually, you cannot blame your failure on the devil. Whether you like this or not, if you aren't prospering, it's not because of God, so you don't have to beg Him. It's not because of the devil. If you just know the truth and reject his lies, he's a non-factor. If you aren't prospering, it's because you aren't acting in faith on what God told you to do. You aren't giving and trusting that God will give it back. You aren't doing something. You aren't setting your hand unto something. See, there are things that you have to do to activate the blessing of the Lord. If you compare a blessing and a miracle, a miracle is relatively easy to come by. I mean, you could be in a crisis situation and just, you know, in a brief moment, just have a burst of faith and receive a miracle, but it's not going to be abundant. It's going to be temporary. You're going to have to have a crisis before you get it, and then you're going to need another miracle later on. But if you want to start operating in the blessings of God, it's going to take time. And you're going to have to start learning the laws that govern, whether it's healing or prosperity or joy or peace or whatever it is. There's laws that govern all of these things. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, The Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusteth in him. I couldn't tell you how many times I've had people come and say, would you just please pray that I could have peace? They're praying for peace. They're asking God to give them peace. The Bible doesn't say that peace comes through prayer. It says peace comes through keeping your mind stayed upon God. He'll keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed upon Him. If you want peace in your life, if you're going to get it through just the blessing of God, through putting in the spiritual laws into motion, then you're going to have to turn off a lot of the junk that you watch. You're going to have to quit listening to all of the griping and complaining and all of the things that are being done. You're going to have to stick your nose in the Word of God and as you meditate upon the Word day and night, then you're going to have success. Then you're going to begin to prosper. And then peace is going to come into your life. You know, I don't know if I'm making this clear to people or not. Let me, Before I get into these scriptures, let me just uh, relate to you a, a situation in my life. This happened about 20 years ago. And when my wife and I uh, were believing God to have a house built... And there's a lot of things that happened. I hadn't got time to go into all of this detail, but I really felt led of God to do this. We had rented, and even though I uh, enjoyed renting because I didn't have the debt and the obligation and there were some advantages to it, every time we moved into a rent house, uh, they would turn around and sell the thing out from under us. The last one that we were in, the guy told us that he was going to retire in eight years, and he, we were guaranteed eight years to be in that place uh, because he was going to wait until he retired from the military and then he was going to move back into that house. Within six months of being in there, they'd sold that house. I, I, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the blessing of God on our life. We always painted and fixed up and it looked so much better. 
I don't know. But anyway, after a while, I thought, you know what? There's bondage to being in debt, but there's bondage to having move every six months because the rent house has sold or they've done something else. So anyway, it's a long story, but I really felt like God led us. We bought this property. I was in the process of trying to build the house, and it looked like things were going real good. I had a VA loan and all of these things. And then we ran into some problems And it looked like we were going to lose the money we had spent on the property. We had already put $20,000 into a foundation. The foundation was in, and it looked like we weren't going to be able to close the deal, and I'd have to sell the property. It was a bad time, a down time at that time. I would have lost money on it. And you know what? I had done those steps, taken these steps towards having our own house, because I felt like that's what God wanted me to do and that God's favor and God's blessing was on me. So anyway, I headed in this direction and then we just began to run into all of these problems. And so what happened was I, it was about 40 minutes drive from where I lived out to that property and I had my horses out there and I had to go out and feed them every morning. So I'd drive out and feed them, come back. It was about an hour and a half round trip And I remember one day as I was driving out there that it just looked like nothing was working. And here's where some of these truths that I've been talking about, about the power of a blessing, and that a blessing isn't things, but rather a blessing is the favor of God. And because I had these truths in me, you know what? I just was saying, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what happens to this property. I don't care if we lose everything. I am blessed. And I mean for an hour and a half, especially when I was driving in the car, I remember, you know, the scripture talks about, I believe over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, about fighting a good fight of faith. And really, that's what our fight is all about. It's just Satan is trying to get us out of faith. Satan is trying to get us over into fear and get us into discouragement and depression and unbelief. And really, the whole fight is just, you don't have to fight Satan physically. You just fight those lies and you hold on to the fact that I am blessed. And I remember as I drove out to that property that I was screaming at the top of my lungs because sometimes when your thoughts are going contrary to what you want them to, I've learned that this is one way to make yourself think the right things. You can literally talk so loud, scream so loud that your mind just can't think anything else. You have to focus on what you're saying. So as I drove out there, I was screaming and saying, I am blessed. And I'd emphasize every word. I'd say, I am blessed. I am blessed. Not I'm going to be or I was, but I am blessed right now. I am blessed. And I would just scream that. And I was sitting there fighting the good fight of faith. And see, I had a tendency to go to God and say, Oh God, please do something. But you know what? God had already said that He had already blessed me with all spiritual blessings. That God had already poured His things out on me. I had a tendency to go and fight the devil and say, Devil, I fight against you and command you to stop this. But the truth was, Satan can't stop the blessings of God unless I get into unbelief. So the emphasis wasn't on petitioning God or binding the devil. You know what I was doing? I was working on my own heart. And I was fighting this good fight to say that I am blessed. I have set my hand unto something. I have bought this property. I have begun the process of building a house. And in the name of Jesus, this is going to work. And I stood there and fought this good fight of faith. And I refused to get into unbelief, to get into discouragement. I had to fight it. And there were some problems. And anyway, the long story made short is 
that we did get in that house. Now I've been in it, I think, 18 or 19 years, and we have the thing, I think, uh, paid off or within maybe ten, twenty thousand dollars of being paid off. It'll be paid off this year, and that's we've also refinanced some other things and put it back into there, and so that's more than just the cost of our house. I mean, God has blessed us. We are just about debt-free. It's worked out, but you know what? I had to fight for my faith that I was blessed when everything around me looked like nothing was working. As a matter of fact, I was quoted a figure, if I remember correctly, I think it was $3,500 for closing cost. And we had set aside that money, and I mean, that was all of the money that we had. We were maxed out. And I think a week or two weeks before our closing date, just when the house was just about done, it turned out that to run electricity to my property was going to cost me $15,000. The electric company said they would run it uh, and put all of the uh, expense into a monthly payment. They didn't do it. It wound up they were going to charge me $15,000 that was due at closing. And if I didn't have that money, the whole thing was off. And here was all of this house built, all of the bills due. They wouldn't close. The loan wouldn't go through. I'd be in serious trouble. And when they told me about that, I was in this... uh, lumber yard and I was talking to my builder and when he told me all of this I said I don't have $18,000 I had $3,500 saved for closing I can't do this I don't have it and the owner of that lumber yard heard me say that he went out and put liens against my house in anticipation of me not being able to pay it But you know what? I just stood and I kept saying, I don't care what they do to me. I'm blessed and blessed, blessed. Did you know that two days before the closing on that house, I received an inheritance from a distant uncle that had been in probate for two or three years. And it just so happened that two days before our closing, I received a $20,000 inheritance that paid all of that closing costs and everything worked out. But you know what? I had to fight in my own heart to maintain my faith that I was blessed. And this is what I'm trying to get across to you. God has blessed you. God has commanded His blessing. God's favor is on you. God wants you to prosper. God is not your problem. You don't have to plead with God, beg God for anything. God has already blessed you before you ever even needed the blessing. And also, you don't have to worry about the devil. He is a factor, but really the only reason he's a factor is because he's lying to you and trying to deceive you. And if you refuse his deception, then God is on your side. Satan can't stop it. The only thing that is really a factor is whether you are going to stand and receive your blessings by faith. Now, that is a powerful truth, but I've got to say some things to go along with this, or I believe that most people will uh, be talked out of it because most people relate the blessing of God to performance. And there's many things in the Old Testament that go along with this. This is a very broad stroke that I'm painting right here. But as a whole, in the Old Testament, God dealt with people based on performance. That's what the Old Testament law was all about. It was about rules and regulations that controlled your conduct. In the New Testament, though, God goes to the heart of the matter and God changes a person from the inside out. And if you are truly changed on the inside, then yes, there will be physical actions. 
and conduct to go along with it. Faith without works is dead. And so I agree with that. But the book of Romans, the book of Hebrews, uh, the book of Galatians, there's just many scriptures that show that it's really not your actions that God uh, releases His power into your life because of. It's a matter of the heart. Now, if you say, oh, well, I'm believing God, but then all of your actions are contrary to that, you're going out and you lie, you cuss, you steal, you are a whoremonger, you murder, you do all of this. You can say what you want to, but you don't truly believe God and love God if all of your actions are contrary. So I'm not saying that actions are unimportant, but I'm saying that God deals with us in our heart and every one of us at times have actions that are contrary to what we really believe in our heart. Because of fear, because of just the flesh, because of humanity, there are times that we fail. And if you don't understand this point I'm trying to make right here, then if you think that God's blessing is proportional to your performance, then Satan is going to condemn you because all of our performance is going to come short. And we will fall and quit believing in the blessing, not because we don't believe that God could do it, we just don't believe He's willing to do it because we know we aren't worthy. You've got to make this disconnection between your worthiness and God's blessing. If you think God only blesses those who are worthy of being blessed, then Satan will talk you out of the blessing. Let me show you some scriptures that have been misinterpreted, misapplied, and I'll interpret this in the light of the New Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, if, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 27, that whole chapter was where uh, the children of Israel divided themselves into two groups. One group stood on one mountain over here. Another group stood on the other mountain. Moses stood in the middle. And one group blessed the Israelites. If they would do everything right, then these blessings would come upon them. The other group would curse the Israelites. If they didn't do what was right, then these curses would come upon them. And the 26th verse of Deuteronomy chapter 27 concludes that whole experience by saying, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. And so the blessing, it wasn't just like if you do 90% right and 10% wrong, then you get 90% blessing and 10% curse. That's not the way that it worked. It was if you don't confirm everything, if you don't do everything perfectly, then instead of getting a little bit of the blessing and a little bit of the curse, you get 100% total curse. You either have to be 100% correct in your performance or you get the curse instead of the blessing. That's exactly what this said. The same thing is said over in Galatians chapter 3. Let me just turn over and read this verse But this makes it very clear. It's a commentary on this exact passage of Scripture. In Galatians chapter 3, it says, in verse 10, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That's a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. And he's saying here that if you don't do everything right, then instead of getting a portion of the blessing, you get 100% curse. Now that's the way that the Old Testament law was. You either had to be perfect and get everything through your own goodness, which nobody could measure up to that standard, or you just had to throw yourself on the mercy of God and receive it by grace. Now in the New Testament, since Jesus has come, Jesus has paid our price and you are not getting what you deserve. 
You know, that's simple to say, but that is so profound and that is so against our religious culture today. Most quote-unquote Christian churches today are preaching that you get what you deserve. And the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because I'm talking about the blessing of God and how that you are the one that activates or deactivates the blessing of God by your faith. And if I don't bring these points out, many people are just going to automatically transpose what I'm saying into saying, well, then that means that unless I'm doing everything right, the blessing of God won't work in my life. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. It's all about your faith. And you can believe something. And if you believe something, there will be corresponding actions. But you are a physical human being that is going to make mistakes. And if you think that your actions are what God is beholding instead of your faith, then Satan is going to condemn you because your actions will never be perfect. Man, I, I could go in a totally different direction and preach for months or you know years on this trying to counter some of the religious bondage. But that is just so prevalent in people. You've got to make this disconnect that even though you are supposed to act right, God deals with you based on your faith in your heart and not your actions. Because all of us have actions that sometimes do not correspond with our faith. All of us fail in this area and you've got to get out from under this performance-based mentality or you'll never believe that the blessings of God will work in your life. You may believe that the blessings of God are real and that they're available. You just won't believe they'll work for you because you are aware that you don't do everything perfectly. Well, I've already used this example, but Abraham didn't do everything perfectly. Abraham lied about his wife being his wife twice, not once. But twice he did this and was willing to let kings take his wife and commit adultery with them so that he could save his own neck. He was afraid somebody would kill him to be able to get to his wife. You know what? That's wrong. Any way you slice this, any way you look at that, that's wrong. Abraham did some wrong things. And then in an effort to help God fulfill his promise to Abraham and Sarah, they decided that Abraham should go into Sarah's slave, Hagar, and have sexual relationships with her. And maybe that was the way that God was going to raise up this seed. Did you know what? That wasn't the leading of God. And out of Hagar and Abraham, that union came uh, Ishmael, the father of all Arabs. All of the Arab-Israeli conflict came out of Abraham's disobedience. Abraham blew it at least those three times. And I think you could even be more critical than that about some things that he did. But there are three major mistakes right there. And yet Abraham was blessed of God. You know why? Because Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham didn't always use the most wisdom. Abraham didn't do everything right. But Abraham believed God. And if you looked at his life, the overwhelming action of Abraham was obedience. Now, he had these three areas that he missed it in big time. But overall, Abraham trusted God to the point that he was even willing to offer his son in sacrifice. Abraham trusted the promises of God, that God was his source, that God was going to bless him. So much so that in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham gave away the equivalent of millions of dollars of spoil that rightfully belonged to him. But he did it because he says, I don't want anybody to think it was just natural, physical things that made Abraham rich. I want them to know that it was the blessing of God. 
in the 13th chapter of the book of Genesis, Abraham and Lot had to separate because they were so plenteous in all of their cattle and sheep that the land couldn't bear both of them together. And Abraham, because he trusted God, gave uh, Lot the choice of you either take the well-watered land down here in the valley or I'll take the desert, whichever you want. Again, all of these things show that the dominant action, the dominant thing about Abraham's life was a man of faith. But he wasn't perfect. He sinned. He made mistakes. And God's blessing came upon Abraham not because of his actions, but because of his faith. And you've got to make sure that you don't fall into the trap of thinking you have to be perfect in order for God to bless you. If you believe that, well, then you aren't receiving your blessing through Jesus. You're receiving your blessing through yourself. You might as well quit praying and saying in the name of Jesus and just put your own name in there because the truth is you really are looking to yourself as your source. Now, these are some strong words, but I tell you, this is what stops the blessing of God in some people's lives. Some people don't know about the power of a blessing. Some people don't know what God has blessed us with. They're ignorant of Scripture. But then there's a large number of people who do know what God's will is. They do know what God wants to do in their life. But the problem is they know they don't deserve it and they haven't yet got the revelation that God isn't giving us what we deserve. It's not according to your performance. It's according to grace. And there's a large number of people trapped right there and they are condemned of their own conscience. Satan comes in and amplifies our mistakes and just beats us up with it. And there are a large number of people who aren't letting the blessing of God manifest in their life because they don't feel worthy. This is a problem that people struggle with. Most people believe that God can do anything, but they doubt His willingness to do it because they know they aren't doing everything correctly. Your actions are important, but really God looks at your heart and it's a matter of faith. Abraham saw the blessing of God prevail in his life, not because he did everything right. He made serious mistakes, but he did believe God. You can believe God and still make mistakes just because you're human. None of us are going to do everything perfectly. And if you have a performance-based mentality to where you think you get only what you deserve from God, then Satan is going to have a field day with you. He's going to condemn you and talk you out of the blessings of God. Let me use these passages of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you're familiar with this passage, Deuteronomy 28 is where it talks about the blessings that will come upon you if you keep the law. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 through 68, it talks about the curses that will come upon you if you don't fulfill the law. Now look at this, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. It says, And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all His commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Now as we continue on through our teaching about blessings and miracles, I'm going to come back to Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 through 14 and we're going to talk about what some of these blessings are that would come upon us. But first of all, I just want you to focus on verses 1 and 2. 
it says it'll come to pass that these blessings are going to manifest in your life if, and this little tiny two-letter word, if, is just a huge obstacle here. It says, if you hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all of His commandments. It didn't say to observe and to do as many as you could. And if you'll just do the best that you can, then God will make up the difference. Nope, this is saying you have to be perfect. And again, in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, the last verse of that chapter says, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. In other words, you have to keep everything in the law. Those people who preach that you've got to perform, and if you don't pay your tithes, if you don't go to church, if you don't do this, if you don't live holy, then God won't bless you. People who preach that are preaching an Old Testament mentality, and I'm telling you, nobody can live up to that standard. I've heard people take this exact passage of Scripture before and say, here's the deal, God wants to bless you, here's all of these blessings, and they'll go on and talk about how God wants to bless you going in, coming out, uh, doing all of these things, but the problem is you aren't hearkening diligently enough unto the Lord. So instead of praying 30 minutes a day, you've got to pray an hour a day. You've got to go to church twice a week instead of once a week. You've got to do this, this, and this. And they will always just start saying it's because you aren't doing enough. Well, I'm telling you that this verse, if you look at it critically, in Deuteronomy 28.1, it says you have to observe and to do all His commandments. If you take it in context... 27, 26 says, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law. This just leaves no room for mistake. If you are going to try and take Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2 and say, Well, these blessings are coming upon me because I'm doing it more than I've ever done before. I'm trying harder. God, I'm seeking you more than I ever have. If that's your attitude, you will stop the blessing of God because you aren't going to do it perfectly. And the moment you fail, all of this condemnation and guilt is going to come upon you. And you won't doubt that God has the power. You will doubt His willingness to use His power on your behalf because you know you haven't measured up. Somebody might be saying, well, what are you saying though? Isn't that exactly what Deuteronomy 28, 1 says? Yes, it is. But here's the way that a New Testament believer should be reading Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2. They should be saying, and it is coming to pass since Jesus hearkened diligently unto the voice of the Lord his God to observe and to do all his commandments which were commanded him this day that the Lord his God set him on high above all nations of the earth and all of these blessings are coming upon me because I am a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because by faith... I am receiving all of the goodness of God that I haven't earned and deserved on my own. Here's another passage of Scripture that goes along with that. I hope you can see a difference between that and the way that this is traditionally preached. Yes, we are supposed to live correctly. I'm not saying that you're supposed to live in sin, but I'm saying that if you ever get to start thinking that you earned the blessing of God, Satan is going to eat your lunch and pop the bag because he will be able to show you something wrong that you've done and then all of this condemnation will come upon you. But look at this passage in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. 
You know what the law of sin and death is? You could explain it in a lot of ways, but you could turn back over to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and say that the law of sin and death is that if you sin, you get Deuteronomy 28 verses 15 through 68, which are the curses, instead of Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14, which are the blessings. In other words, you get death, punishment for your sin. And it says that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. It has made me free from Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 15 through 68. All of those curses, they aren't coming upon me even though I don't do everything properly because Jesus set me free from the curses that were associated with the law. I'll get to some other scriptures to show that. In verse 3 it says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... In other words, the reason that the law failed or couldn't produce everything that we needed wasn't because the law was inadequate. The law was perfect. Everything that was commanded us to do in the Old Testament law, that is the right thing to do. It is perfect. But the reason it wouldn't work is because we were imperfect. None of us could keep it. And the Old Testament law wasn't just do the best you can and then God will make up the difference. It was either you earn it through keeping the Old Testament law perfectly or you have to quit trusting in yourself and just receive what you need from God as a gift. Boy, it's amazing how most people don't understand that. So in verse 3, Romans 8, 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sin of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, he suffered God's judgment for sin in his flesh. In verse 4 it says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So even though I don't do everything perfectly, even though I still sin and come short of the glory of God, did you know that the righteousness of the law the goodness, the perfection of the law has been fulfilled in my spirit. So I can turn back over to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and I could read it this way, that because of Romans chapter 8 verse 4, because Jesus bore my judgment for my sin in His own body on the tree and now I have the righteousness of God fulfilled in me. Therefore, I have through Christ fulfilled all of the commandments of the law. I have hearkened diligently through Jesus. His goodness, His righteousness, His holiness, His performance has been all attributed to me. And because of what Jesus has done, then all of the blessings of Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14 are coming to pass in my life. Not because I deserve it, but because I put faith in a Savior who deserved it and He has just blessed me with everything that He has. Man, that is good news. That is awesome news. God's blessing isn't given to you because you deserve it. You know, I'm reminded of so many scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy 8, Exodus, it said this a number of times, where the Lord said, don't think, and He was speaking to the Jewish nation, don't think that I am bringing you into the promised land because you deserve it because you are stronger or mightier or worth more than all of the other nations on the earth. He says, you're the least of all the people. He says, I'm doing it because I love you and because I've made a covenant with your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, it's not based on your goodness. And it's not based on our goodness. 
that the blessing of God comes in our life. It is based upon what Jesus did for us, and the only thing we had to contribute is just faith. We have to believe it. Now, I was using Proverbs chapter 28 where it says you have to hearken diligently to observe and to do all of the commandments in order to receive these blessings. And I used Romans chapter 8 to show how that Jesus bore all of my sin and He fulfilled all of these things for me so that I get what He deserves and not what I deserve. Let me use another passage of Scripture that is making this exact same point. Galatians chapter 3. It says in Galatians chapter 3, let me just uh, use a few of these verses talking about Abraham. Uh, it says in verse 6, Galatians 3, 6, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. That is a quotation from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where it says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. He just believed God's promises. And it was right after this, that Abraham went in and had sexual relationship with uh, Sarah's slave, Hagar, which was not what God told him to do. He was counted righteous, and then he went right out and blew it and made a major mistake. You know what? It wasn't because he did everything right. It was because he believed God. And so it goes on to talk about the Old Testament law that nobody can ever be righteous in the sight of God through keeping the law. In verse 12, it says, this is Galatians 3.12, And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Man, there is a lot in that verse. I can't teach on this or I'll get stuck here the rest of the day, but that's a powerful verse. In verse 13, it says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. There was a curse placed on any person who was killed, crucified on a tree. Jesus was crucified on a tree so that he became a curse. God put his wrath, his curse upon Jesus so that you would never have to bear it. Jesus became a curse for us and redeemed us from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? Well, again, there could be more explanation than this, but you could turn over to Deuteronomy 28, the passage of Scripture I've been using, and the curse of the law is literally Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 through 68. There's a total of 68 verses in Deuteronomy 28. The first 14 talk about the blessings that would come upon us if we do everything perfectly which nobody in the Old Covenant ever fulfilled this and ever deserved this. But through Jesus, now His perfection has been applied to us. So that like it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 4, that the righteousness of the law is now fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you have made Jesus your Lord, then you in the spirit realm have been made the righteousness of God and you get Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14, the blessings because of your faith in Jesus. But the curse was in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 through 68. And if you're much of a mathematician here, you ought to be able to figure this out fairly quickly, that there are more curses in Deuteronomy 28 than there are blessings. And you get the curses if you don't do everything right. That is, if you're trusting in yourself. But a person who has made Jesus their Lord, we are redeemed from these curses. Even though we fail, even though we don't do what we should do, we aren't going to get these curses. 
And so here's the way that I, as a New Testament believer, read Deuteronomy chapter 28. You know what I do? I read those blessings and say, these are what God wants to do in my life. And even though I haven't perfectly fulfilled everything on my own through my faith in Jesus, the righteousness of the law has been fulfilled in me. So every one of these blessings in Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14 is mine. And as we go through this series, I'm going to turn back here and I'm going to show you what those blessings are. But then I also read verses 15 through 68 and where it says that you will be cursed with the botch and with the mildew and with emrods and with blasting. You know, these are old English words, but you know what blasting is? A blasting is a damaging or destructive high wind. You could talk about tornadoes, hurricanes, just any type of high wind. Did you know that that was a curse that would come upon people? And since Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed me from the curse, then if I can find it in here, and if it says it's a curse, then I'm redeemed from it. And God has turned this curse into a blessing so that I can stand and I can rebuke high winds that would damage any of my property. I can do that. I've done that. I know some of you don't believe this. Some of you think this is weird, but I've spoken to hurricanes. I've got witnesses of this. Uh, I forget if it was uh, 2005 or 2004, we had a hurricane, two hurricanes scheduled to come through North Carolina while I was there holding a uh, meeting outside and we spoke to it and they predicted torrential rains and flooding and damaging high winds. We rebuked those tornadoes and uh, the hurricane that was coming through. And did you know that we had sunshine all week long on Friday night? They were predicting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it was going to be floods. Did you know uh, we never got it? On Friday, the eye of that hurricane came through, and there was a little mist, so that about the time that we started our service, there was a rainbow off in the distance, a double rainbow. It was beautiful, and there was a little mist, but that was it. And about 30 or 40 miles... Uh, from uh, Charlotte, up in the mountains, anywhere, any direction you went, there was flooding all around. But Charlotte was just sunshine, and we rebuked it, and it worked. Some of you think, I don't believe that. Well, then it won't work for you. <laughs> but I believe it. I've seen it work. It works. That's what it, this is. It also says that mildew is a part of the curse that will come upon you if you don't do things. Well, through Christ, I've been redeemed from the curse. And I have an instance where my wife and I, we lived in a little apartment when we first got married. It was real cheap. It wasn't insulated. It was in Seagaville, Texas. And I remembered that, you know, we would have the house warm inside and it would be cold outside. And and as the cold uh, seeped through those walls and meant the warmth inside, uh, there was water that would actually run down the interior walls and especially like in closets where there was darkness and stuff, that dampness was in there and we had mildew. So you know what Jamie and I did? We took this passage of Scripture, I forget which verse it is, but uh, it talks about the mildew here and we literally took Deuteronomy 28 and I read to that wall. I know some of you are going to think I'm crazy, but I think you're crazy if you don't do what the Word of God says. The Lord says, speak to your mountain and cast it into the sea. It didn't say talk to God about your mountain. It said talk to your mountain. Moses went and talked to the rock and water came out of it. 
You know what? If you aren't talking to things, then you aren't doing what God told you to do in Scripture. We literally took these Scriptures and we read to it about mildew. And I said, mildew, you are a curse. And Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. And so therefore I command you to get out of my house. And I commanded mildew to leave. And in two or three days, that mildew was totally gone. The water was still, the walls were still sweating. There was still dampness, but mildew was gone. And somebody says, oh, I don't believe that. Well, then it won't work for you. I'm telling you, some people just think that this is crazy. But you know what? The Word of God is powerful. And the blessing of God is powerful. And we have been redeemed from the curse. You could go through here and read this. It talks about emrods and the itch. You know, if you've got an itch, speak to it and say, You're a curse and Christ hath redeemed me from the curse and command that itch to stop. It goes on and I believe it's around verse... Let me look this up. Deuteronomy chapter 28 around verse 61. It says, Also every sickness... And every plague which is not written in the book of, the, of this law, them will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. All of these curses had been saying that you'd be struck with leprosy, you'd be struck with blindness, you'd be struck with itch and the botch and the mildew and the emrods and all of these things. And this verse 61 says every sickness, every disease, anything that isn't specified by name, those will the Lord bring upon you as a curse. Well, again... Uh, Galatians 3.13, Jesus bore those things for me. He became a curse so that I would never be cursed. And so now I can say that any sickness or any disease, whether it's specified, spelled out in Scripture or not, if it's AIDS, if it's some new virus, if they come out with some avian flu or bird flu, swine flu, whatever kind of flu they come up with, it doesn't matter what the name on it is. Any sickness that would come against me was a curse. I'm redeemed from the curse and therefore it's been turned into a blessing. And you know, if you don't have this attitude, if you don't know that you're blessed, well then first of all, you're never going to see it manifest because there isn't any faith being mixed with it. If you do know that you're blessed and you know that God wants to do these things for you, but if you are making the mistake of relating all of God's blessing to your own performance and thinking you have to be worthy and earn it, well then you are also going to miss out on the blessing because you will condemn yourself. You know you aren't perfect and you won't be able to operate in it. But if you could apply this in the light of the New Testament that Christ redeemed me from the curse that I am not getting what I deserve, the righteousness of the law has been fulfilled in me by faith, then you can understand that all of these blessings are mine. Boy, that's good news.